everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, where each week we find out just what makes our Oklahoma songwriters tick. If you've ever been interested in the process of how songs get written, or if you're a songwriter looking for tips and inspiration, then you are in the right place. I do one-on-one interviews with your favorite Oklahoma artists and dig into why and how they write their music. I'm your host, Jared Voluch, and I'm very, very happy you're here. Let's get started. Okay, welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast. I'm Jared Veluch, and today we have Jake Flint with us. How's it going? Hey, man. Going good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah, man. Um, You came from Moore today. Norman. Or Norman? Yeah, my girlfriend lives in Norman. Okay, cool. Yep. Weren't you living up in Tulsa for a minute? I was. I lived outside of Tulsa, kind of on the south side, and... uh, outside of a town called Mounds for a little while, and and then uh, about three years ago, I bought a little HUD house, a little eight hundred square foot HUD house, in like the back of this neighborhood, and kind of close to downtown Tulsa. So I'm pretty much five ten minutes from everywhere instead of being thirty minutes from town. I love it. Yeah. Low, low maintenance. It's easy to just lock up like Fort Knox and leave for a little while. <laughs> yeah, man, it's nice. Yeah. Heck yeah. But we, uh, yeah, I was been my girlfriend Barbara lives in Norman, and uh, we flew in last night from Key West with all all the crew and. Oh yeah, Milo Fest. Milo. Hell yeah. A Wookie. How was that? It was really good. Uh, lots of talent. I've been sober for since November, uh, so I went to Steamboat this year and uh, and also this trip. The first time uh, this is my third year to play Mile Zero, and uh, this is the first time I've remembered most of it. <laughs> I understand that. I so, I didn't realize you uh, you kicked it all. Yeah, I've got a switch in me. There's like when I quit doing dope years ago and quit, you know, everything that I've quit that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place in my life. There's just a little switch that goes off, and I'm just tired of it and done and. Like even you know, I'm I'm sure alcohol will be the same way, but uh, like with with hard drugs and stuff, when I've dabbled since, it's just uncomfortable and it's not fun, and there's just something that switches off in me that it's. I think it's like the it's the it, part of alcohol, like being an alcoholic. Maybe there's like, it's like the opposite of that. Maybe. Oh, I know. I think I know where you're, exactly where you're yeah. talking about. I. I've probably mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times, but I'm, uh, I've been, I had to quit alcohol about 10 years ago or so, mm-hmm. um, back when I was in my twenties. Uh, cause I very much so the same, everything I just switch flipped and then I was just going yep. and I couldn't really stop. Yeah. Um, and it was tough. I didn't ever really fuck too much shit up. It was just, uh. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Lots of days wasted with hangovers yeah. and a lot of periods of time just gone from yeah. your memory. Yeah, big time. Same here. So, and uh, it was causing problems in my relationship. And that, that's the way I've always looked at any kind of substance abuse or whatever. Like, if it affects your job, if it affects your lifestyle, if it affects your relationships, then there's something that needs to be addressed. So, kind of switch went off and made the. This, I guess, just a like a hard decision, and kind of stuck with it. It was a little difficult the first few weeks, but I've kind of gathered and got in a groove and a comfort zone. A lot of bars stock a Topo Chico or a bottle of Coke uh, or something, yeah. which helps a lot. Having something fizzy, 
in your hand? That's what I figured out. If I have, for years, I would just go in. It took me about a year before I would even go into a bar when yeah. I first uh, kicked it off. But then when I started going in, if I had just like Sprite or Chico, mm-hmm. something with something in it, it was better than yeah, just plain water. Well, it just makes you feel like you're still part of the group and part of the party if you have something in your hand. And so, yeah. but anyway, went back to the steamboat was really productive. Mile Zero was really productive. It was nice to, you know, do what I've intended to do for the you know past few years of going to this, being like lucky enough to be invited to it. Mm-hmm. You know, to really take advantage of the opportunity and put my best foot forward and. And uh, and also just network hard and promote hard and you know did a lot of kind of street teamy stuff just handing out you know free swag and stuff like that and and it's been there's been a lot of positive recourse from it you know a lot of followers of social media followers and people reaching out and and also just like uh, with the Spotify artist and like iTunes artist and stuff you can see your uh stats mm-hmm. pretty close on demographics and regions and uh I've noticed since Steamboat and Mile Zero that I've had, you know, that I'm increasing fan base uh, you know, nationwide. So you see some people buying the record from Montana and from North Carolina and you know, all that's awesome that to it, see that came to a show and saw it, liked it, and or that you interact with and you shake their hand, talk to them, and so it's been good. Good yeah, trip. I mean, I've been noticing the level of effort that I've seen in you. Yeah, I think I uh, rise a lot. I mean, you've always been super talented, um, but it seemed like there's like a. It's like some of us get stuck down in the mud. You know yeah. what I mean? And we we don't really fight hard enough to get up out of it and start really consistently pushing. And the thing that I see that I've seen from you is the consistent yeah. push. And it's been, I don't know, man, I love seeing it. It, it yeah. keeps, it keeps me fighting to, to move forward on stuff. And thank you. I love seeing, I mean, it's great to see local people like fucking nice. Just pushing. And it's cool. No pressure, Jake. No pressure. <laughs> You're, it's all well, I'm not you. sure. We, I'm not sure we ever get out of the mud. No, you just get better boots and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, meet people to give you a hand and stuff like that. So, but thank you. But it feels good to get that for somebody to recognize that and and mention it. I thank you for doing that. Oh, of course, man. The work should be recognized and. Yeah, it's not enough. Often enough, people take it for granted. Even your fan, like people that are fans of you, mm-hmm. don't ever realize how much extra effort you actually have to put out. As some, as somebody like you, especially, yeah. I could, um, just seeing that when you step off the stage, another shift has beginning. Yeah, because you, like you said, you go out and you network, and then you mm-hmm. get to shake hands and meet new people, and yeah, you know, you're sharing a part of yourself, and no part of it's really an act. But it all it all takes effort. Yeah. It's just know. part of the job. Yeah, it's part of the job, yeah. and it all takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. Um, so yeah, we've talked about you a little bit, but uh, tell tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I uh, I was born and raised in uh, South Central Oklahoma in a town called Holdenville, and 
we're kind of it's a little old field boom town down there. My my uh, family's been in the quote unquote oil business for several generations. Um, nobody, n- none of none of the above that were educated in the in the craft and trade of <laughs> finding uh, hydrocarbons, but we uh, kind of got you know get lucky every every. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, you know, kind of that deal. So um, my family kind of came from West Texas, and uh, my dad was raised around um, New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico. They actually lived on an oil lease on top of a mesa, and my grandpa was just a roughneck out there for a company. They moved to uh, southern Oklahoma and uh, settled in Holdenville, where I was kind of born and raised. And uh, speaking of blind squirrel finding a nut, my my dad was a go getter, and he was a really smart guy. And uh, he he used to refer to himself as J O A T, Jack of all trades, like as M D or C P C P A, but <laughs> but uh, Doug Flint J O A T. So anyway, he uh, he he kind of was pretty savvy and smart and good businessman, good talker and. And uh, got a pretty good business put together, and then they they merged with a company in Tulsa, so we moved to Tulsa uh, when I was around third grade. <clears throat> I was kind of a country kid, transplanted in the city, so didn't necessarily fit in good. I mean, I fit in all right. I was a, played a lot of baseball and stuff, so I made friends in sports, stuff like that. But uh, uh, that sports kind of led me to a a scholarship at this private school in Tulsa oh, yeah. at Metro Christian Academy. I played baseball for them. And, uh, uh, but again, that transplanted me in an even like harder place to really fit, especially yeah. for a middle-class, you know, country kid in a, a private school in, you know, Tulsa with a bunch of, you know, wealthy, wealthy people and, uh, you know, people that were kind of born and raised in town, <clears throat> but got through that deal, got introduced to music through that deal, um, uh, had some music classes at school and really got into guitar. And then my dad had uh, Luke Eric's disease. He contracted it soon after we moved to Tulsa in like 92, 93, and, uh, kind of took him physically fast, um, he was confined to a wheelchair pretty quick, and everybody thought he was. It was funny. Everybody thought he, he was never a drinker. Uh, my grandpa was a terrible, terrible alcoholic, so it kind of skipped a generation. You know, my dad, <laughs> of course, because he was a bad alcoholic, just never touched it. Um, but every, it was funny because he wasn't ever a drinker, and then uh, he got this d- disease, which is kind of a uh, muscle degenerative disease. Yeah, and. Uh, Everybody started stumbling, and everybody thought he was drunk all the time, you know, because he'd slur his words. You know, he'd be in a beating, and you know, be like, "Damn, Doug, you know, take it easy at lunch," you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, because of his physical restrictions, he he kind of subcontracted a lot of his buddies, um, high school buddies and college buddies and work colleagues to like take me out to do things. That he physically couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, participate in, you know, uh, which music was one of them he knew I had a passion for. So his buddy John Beaver and 
Dave Nichols, uh, both from Edmond, Oklahoma City. They would take me to bluegrass festivals and taught me how to play guitar and introduced me to that stuff. And um, really got into that a whole lot, flat pickers. And there was a moment we were at Winfield, and uh, I was just sitting around this, just walked up to this group. You know, it was very early in my playing. I wasn't very good. So I kind of try to stay off to the edges, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I look over, and there's Beppe Gambetta and Tony Rice and Dan Crary, like some just some, you know, crazy, crazy flat pickers, bluegrass flat pickers and mandolin players. And they're just sitting around this campfire and just playing, like, the most amazing shit I've ever heard in my life, you know. And just as a young, impressionable kid, it kind of imprinted on me. And and it really made me want to go home and get better, which I have tried to do since. But uh, got into that stuff and got into the singer-songwriters when I was around Stillwater, uh, listening to Jason Bowen and Cross-Canadian Ragweed. And uh, that kind of led me to their forefathers of music, which would be like Bob Childers and Tom Skinner, Yeah, that group. And then I kind of got into the Texas singer-songwriters a lot, like Guy Clark and Tans Van Zant and Steve Earle and stuff like that. So, but uh, that kind of brings us current. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> that was concise as shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good, man. Uh, yeah, the one thing I've really noticed about just bluegrass players in general, especially those like those real heavy hitters. Uh, Especially like on guitar, violin, and their fiddle, obviously. Uh, they play the shit out of that too, but like uh, the guitar players just blow me away. I see 17, 16 year old kids that are yeah. raised in the life dad taught them, and yep. they're, they're just, they, I don't, I don't know if they see it because they're just kids, but I watched, uh, I do a lot of weddings and things like that. And we brought in a bluegrass band, and I ran sound for them on one, and this dad, brought in his son who's 17 and he, they were dad was playing like fire doing those crazy mm -hmm. bluegrass licks and then he would switch over to rhythm and then his son would pick up and I was just watching his son and I was just like I was blown away this yeah. kid's this guy I'll never be as good as this kid is <laughs> at right now no, in his that life dude you won't do it no, no, no. but <laughs> well yeah carpal tunnel is getting worse yeah. so uh but yeah, no, it just blew me away, and then I really started to pay a lot more attention to bluegrass players, yeah. uh, because like I didn't really think about it or put it together till about probably about a year or so ago. But like bluegrass is kind of like the metal version yeah. of rock, was, or, you know? Like, yeah, I was about to tell you like that is the, the two the two genres I guess of music that I'm impressed by the most is bluegrass flat pickers and like and heavy metal guitarists. Yeah, you know, it's just. The like the quantity of notes that they play and the precision in which they play them is it's just unmatched in yeah. most other genres. Yeah, I can't. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. This it's one of the cooler things that I could see, and I I've had many intentions on practicing more of that stuff. Me too. Not much of a practicer, to be honest <laughs> with you. It's not. It's not fun. No, it's not. I just don't do it. Yeah, I should. I was just talking to on the way home. Like, man, because you get up, especially in the, like festival scenarios, or like you go to Folk Alliance, you go to 
one of these festivals or you go to, I mean, shit, you go to JJ's on the Sunday and it makes you like leave going like, I need to get better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I need, I need to get better at what I do. Uh, you can only get by on kindness and, <laughs> and humor <laughs> and yeah. humor for so long, you know? Yeah. So I'm anxious to get a, I want to, I need to, I plateaued on my, my lead plan is just the same run in different keys and, I mean, I can make it melodic and make it fit, but it's not impressive. I've just, like, it used to be impressive to me that, like, you know, when you figure out something new, you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. But now I'm like, ooh, hey, you got you to get something else. Like, oh, but, yeah. I came up with my own, what, it was like a four or five note run mm-hmm. that sounded kind of jazzy. And I was like, man, that's gonna that's gonna fit really nicely yeah. over some stuff at JJ's. People are gonna be like, hey, that's different. Knock some socks yeah. off. I played those six notes, and <laughs> I still had a whole lot of solo. Yeah, there. I was like, <sighs> like huh? what? Oh, yep. Now we're just gonna go back to a pentatonic scale <laughs> just here. Just do it again. Just yeah. do just it again. Keep going. <laughs> it's gonna work out perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I, that's what I love about going to JJ's. It or places like it too. It's just it keeps me pushing a little bit harder yeah reminds me that yeah i do need to practice i need to do this i used to when i was a kid i used to practice constantly Mm -hmm. uh wasn't not guitar but uh saxophone yeah i played jazz and all kinds of stuff and i used to i spend hours as a kid because as a kid you i don't know what it is you just have that ability to sit down and like i could focus on it um it was my one thing but now that I'm older, I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. Well, back then we didn't have to focus on like what our blood pressure's like and taxes and yeah. the next bill that needs to be paid. And back then it was just like, I'm bored. Yeah. I'm going to practice. <laughs> yeah. I spent my entire Sunday messing with breaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, eh. Yep. Doing all the adult stuff. But, you know, we got to. Well, yeah, I used to like learn new songs. Back then, well, and I think my one of my problems, which is like a blessing and a curse, is is like technology, like iPads, mm-hmm. and because my live shows like original songs. If I'm in a room that wants to hear them, or at least will tolerate them, and uh, if not that, it's just like a hundred percent request, and. I don't have any, I don't do set lists. I don't do, it's just like reading a room and like I know that my job as a musician, like who plays in bars, is to sell beer and entertain their patrons. Like draw as many people as I can, entertain the people that are there. Yeah. So I've never been one of those guys that'll, that wants to force music down anyone's throat, be it mine or the covers that I like. Right. Uh, and I, I have no shame when it comes to a 20 in a tip jar. You know, so uh, I've probably ruined myself with iPad by just not, you know, having complete access to any song in the world at my fingertips within, you know, the time it takes someone to put $5 in a tip jar and ask for a song. Like, I can have it immediately, you know, instead of, like, taking time at home to, like, I want to learn this song today, you know? Yeah. Even stuff that I want to know, that, like, I find myself sometimes at 
in picking circles and in, you know, groups, settings, even at like friends' houses after dinner, just like picking around. It's like, what what songs do I know? <laughs> what do I know? Man, I'm actually kind of relieved to hear you say that because yeah. uh, I feel like I live in a world full of musicians that at the drop of a hat can play like one of a thousand songs yeah. that's just somehow locked in their brain. Yep. But I'm someone that just like, I mean, I, I'll put up, I'll take an iPad. Uh, actually, my iPad got stolen, so I've been using Sex. my cell phone. Yeah. Um, but I just got a new pad I'm going to start working with. But yeah, with the cell phone, just using that same thing, that same mm-hmm. concept, I'll sit down and I'll just have, I'll just have a set. I, I have to do a set list because it puts me at ease. Yeah. But I'll play requests. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's whatever. Um, but that way I know like I'm good. I, I can fill these three hours mm. and I'm, I can breathe. But yeah, no, I, I can't, I don't know what it is. I don't lock a lot of songs away anymore. I just learn them for the day or learn them yeah. for that moment and then move on about mm-hmm. my stuff. When if I just sat down for a second and like you said, just even the songs I want to know, you know, pick out a cool Stevie Wonder tune that has this whatever progression that I want to learn. Mm-hmm. I don't sit there and actually learn it to the point of like, okay, I can actually make it sound pretty and move through the chords this way. Yep. Instead, I'm just like, okay, uh, 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 okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of thing. Same thing. <coughs> yeah. So wait, when did you, uh, when did you start actually performing? Um, when I was, uh, it'd been around 2006. I don't think I was 21. I'm 35 now, 34, 34 now. And uh, I was like 21, 22 uh, when I first, like, there was a band in Tulsa called Whiskey Stills and Mash <laughs> that, like, I snuck into bars when I was 19, 20 to watch and just really liked them. And they were just a kind of a cover band. They had a handful of originals, but were just like a cover bar band, and I loved it. And they were funny, and they were... They had fun, you know, doing what they did, and I loved it, and um, I befriended those guys, and when I was, uh, when I was, I think, 21, 22, I started playing, started booking shows. I felt like I wasn't good enough then to, to be doing that. Mm, okay. I, it was, it was, I was kind of, I wasn't necessarily aware of, like, I'd heard about open mics, but I wasn't aware of what they were really for, you know, and a tool they could be used to, you know, to mm-hmm. go and in a low-pressure scenario, like hone your skills and get gig ready, basically. And uh, But I didn't know about that, or I didn't acknowledge it, and I just started kind of gigging just here and there. And um, then, like, I had followed Whiskey Stills and Mash so long that I knew all the, like, pretty much all the stuff that I did live was their set, just nice. solo, because I just loved it and learned it. But that turned out good, because they, when the lead lead guy, Jeremy Clifford, had to go do some other things, I just kind of stepped in and and was kind of the front man of that little band for a little while. And that kind of got me a kind of a trial-by-fire education on you know, live gigs and band gigs and how to book, how to, you know, what PA to have. And, you know, I kind of had to learn quick and in a hurry. And um, it was good. That's I thrive in that type of scenario where it's like, 
Yeah. Catch up or fall yeah. fall behind. Yep. So I was kind of raised that way of like, go outside and like my truck's broke down. Well, go fix it or or bring me a box of parts, you know, and we'll figure it out together. But go try, you know, first. And, you know, eight times out of ten, it fix it. You know, once you dive into something and use your, you know, senses and abilities and to, you know, try to figure out what's going on. Once you know the basic concept of what's going on, then you can do it. But so that's how that kind of went down. And then, uh, of course, my dad had been sick for a while. My mom and dad got divorced when I was in my late teens and still in high school. But that wasn't a big. It didn't affect me very much. They were very good about it. Kept everything behind closed doors and didn't involve us children. And we never felt at fault or anything like that. So, um, but they separated. He remarried. And then the lady he remarried was kind of a, just a shyster. I mean, she was a bad, bad lady. And um, so when they divorced, um, she, when she, he, he caught her in some infidelity and then, she filed for divorce, and when she filed, she filed for, like, everything except for his wheelchair, you know, like, big time. <laughs> and I'm like, so we had to go through a big fight to, you know, just retain as much as we can. And once we got all that settled, he was just, he needed his whole support system, and, you know, bread broke down. And then also, because of that, he was pretty broke. I was pretty broke. I was trying to do my own thing, and... But you know, not so much music at this time. It was more. I knew that I was. I wanted to like make money and then take off on a music career where it wasn't like starving. Yeah. Same. So, uh, so I was kind of in the, that process, and he was broke, and I was broke. So we just kind of joined forces, and there was the a thing that where it was just like it's a natural instinct, I think, of just like somebody with your same blood or whatever in need. So we just jumped and did that. And that was a long six years, five years, before he passed in 2013 of, you know, just this huge medical bill. Because we, did, we didn't have very good insurance and the expenses were yeah. just outrageous. I mean, uh, several tens of thousands a month, you know, that we had to, like, just got to do it, got to make it, you know, got to have this stuff, got to have, you know, full-time nursing and stuff like that. So lots of, uh, I was kind of the able body on the road and he was kind of the brains in the office and he could run a computer and stuff. So, and with technology, luckily with texting and, you know, instant messaging and stuff, we, we could be in constant contact and even like video conference and stuff, he could be there hands on. So we kind of did that, man. We worked hard for several years and just, uh, you know, got it done. And until he just kind of got tired and, and was ready to go in 2013. And then uh, when he got there, he just kind of, he knew that I had kind of put my stuff off to the back burner to, to like, be part of the team and right. make it happen. So he kind of insisted that I take several years after he passed to see if we could turn music into, you know, money. So, man, here we are getting there. You know, it's solvent now. So you'd be proud of that, that, you know, the music pays for the, this record pays for the next record. And, you know, a hundred dollars out of every, out of every gig 
puts back, you know, merch buys itself and the bills are paid. And so we're not winning any Grammys yet, but we're on our way. Solvent, <laughs> you know, that's which is, I mean, solvent's a, a win for me, you know, because I mean, that's how I looked at it. I once I once yeah. I walked away from Tinker and I started to really get into the local scene. Yeah. And I started to think about, well, first of all, you got to, if you're going to do something, you got to define what success is to you. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, well, if I can keep the fucking lights on yeah. with just playing music, then that's a win. Big you time. know, then technically that's a success. And I even, mm-hmm. so I joined forces with a buddy to do the wedding music for these weddings and stuff. And I was like, I mean, that's a fucking win, man. It's, it's Damn putting right. food on the table. And I even get to write, we made it to where I, I even get to write music for couples sometimes mm-hmm. doing it. And I was like. So in my book, I'm like, I'm a professionally paid songwriter. It's like I, I've checked off at least at the simplest level. Yeah. I've checked off one of my lifelong goals of being able to do that. So it's just, uh, I get it now. I, you know, not every, you, you don't, just because you don't know someone's name doesn't mean they're not out there killing it. You yeah. Know, and, and winning. Well, it's success, success is definitely, a, a, it's a personal gratification thing, yeah. you know. If you feel good about what you're doing, then it's a success, you know. It really doesn't, um, I don't think it matters. There's so much, there's so many different scales mm-hmm. these days. I mean, but it, honestly, it's just, it boils down to if you feel good about what you're doing, you know. You know as well as I knew that it feels as good, it feels better <laughs> It feels better to to have fifteen people in that either on the patio or in mm-hmm. that little space between the bar and the stage at JJ's fucking losing their minds, you know, on a Saturday night. And it doesn't matter if they're drunk, it doesn't matter if they get you know, but it it feels that that's a great fucking feeling. Oh yeah. You know? That's a win. <laughs> yeah. And uh it, it, I mean and I've I've played I've played opening shows at Kane's Ballroom with 2,000 people there that were on their phones and talking to each other, didn't give a shit about me. You know, it feels way better to have 15 people at JJ's losing their minds than uh, yeah. than the alternative, you know, or whatever. But Yeah, but fan by fan, man, it's coming. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get a lot of gratification out of just working hard and, you know, knowing that I'm putting in the deal. And... It, I struggle a lot with the mumbly grumblies around me, you know. That, but that's honestly just a lot of that's just stories that we tell ourselves that may or may not be real, you know. This person feels this way about me. This person thinks that I'm doing this. This person thinks that I'm doing that, and you know, which I don't know. And it comes to like the what I'm doing with, which is like releasing songs on trying to do the radio thing and playing cover shows to make money and stuff like that. There's a lot of, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of mumbly grumbly about that stuff, but there may not be. It's just all in, you know, but I tell myself these stories that all these people around me that I respect think less of me because I will play, you know, that I'll quote unquote sell out and play wagon wheel at the end of a show or, or these people that I respect around me are, they think less of me because I've done a photo shoot or because I'm because I'm releasing singles on the radio or, you know, paying some paying a promoter and paying a 
publicist and stuff like that and building a team to try to to build a brand, you know, and monetize this this art, you know. But it's something that I've just got to, or that I have, and that I, that I, it's a struggle for me, but that I have to every day just kind of be like, hey, you know what? Do your thing. Do what makes you happy. Yeah. Have the best of intentions in every move you make, you know, not, you know, make sure that your intentions are genuine and that you're not trying to screw anybody over and that, and then... At the end of the day, like, let people think what they want to think. And then it, I agree as long as, as long as you're happy with what you're doing and you're satisfied and you don't have any, as long as you don't look at yourself in the mirror and don't like what you see, you know, fuck it. Fuck what everybody else thinks. Uh, yeah, I agree, man. Um, and I would go, man, I'd go in the, I'm, I fall in the complete opposite category as far as, like, I love Everything that you've been doing. Mm. Um, I actually have the same mumbly grumblies, as you call it, like whenever I'm doing, because I do weddings. I'm like, yeah. music, my music, the people that I respect think of less of me because I make the majority of my bread by playing, you know, for people's weddings and, yeah. you know, emceeing and doing all these things. Um, great money in it. <laughs> yeah, there's great money in it. And yeah. so, but I have that same kind of thing in the back of my mind some days about that. I'm like, I'm not pushing the way that they're pushing. Yeah. Or whatever it is. But man, yeah, for you, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to hear somebody else say, yeah, say that stuff. But, uh, well, that's just the job side of it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, we get, you got to make money. And, yeah. Um, it, do you want to, in my case, play Wagon Wheel and, Play a private wedding and play play a private party and I'll request to have an iPad and harmony pedal and play by myself and do loops and leads my own leads instead of playing with the band to make good money and save good money or in your case play weddings and do that or do you want to work at fucking Coles? Yeah, you know. It. I'd rather. Really? I'd rather continue to like <laughs> yeah. enjoy it. You know, I ha- I can have as much fun. I you know. I can play fucking Shakira songs all night if somebody wants to pay me to do that and make it fun, mm-hmm. you know? And that may be the difference between like a someone who would be an entertainer and someone who would be like a songwriter or performer or I don't know. I feel like it might like, be kind of an artist mindset yeah. maybe to think of it as selling out in some way. Yeah. But... Maybe, I don't know, maybe because I was raised, my father was an electrician, my whole family is full of electricians, mm-hmm. and while I never really, I tried that trade for about one summer yeah. <laughs> before I said, screw this. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I grew up always working hard, working with my hands and doing mm-hmm. jobs like that. And so this, to me, I'm like, it's no different trying to please a customer on a pri- in a private party than it is, you know, I don't always get to push my own stuff. And that's okay because mm-hmm. I gotta. If I'm gonna be doing something to make money, that's not directly related to just my art. Might as well be still playing music for real. Exactly, so. that's where I'm at. So keep on keeping on doing the thing, and then you know. But you sneak those originals in every once in a while, and oh yeah, it's just like a. But I've been to. I've been. I played with people. And I've done it myself, where you go to a show and, you know, at a sports bar, 
Alabama mm. <laughs> or something. Yeah. And the football game's on, and you're trying to fucking p- play your original songs, and nobody's listening, and you get mad about it. You know, and you're like, fuck these people. How dare yeah. they? How dare they not listen to my, you know, these songs that I poured my heart and soul into? And you don't want to let up. You're like, no, I'm not going to pander these people. I'm going to play my songs, and they're going to like them or fuck them. And you leave upset, and you don't have a good time the whole time. And the show reflects that. You know, you probably played worse. People listen less because you're upset because you tried to force something down somebody's throat. There's no fucking idea who you are. Yeah. You know, they didn't come here to watch Jake Flint from Oklahoma. They came here to watch the fucking Baylor Bears and and eat a eat a big thing of nachos, you know. So but you know, on the other hand, you can you know, you can kind of read that person and, you know, play a First five songs in the set, like play a Shakira song, and then play a Joe, Joe Diffie song, and then play a Jason Isbell song, and then play a, you know, whatever, and run the gamut. And then once you see those ears perk up, read the crowd and play what they want to hear, and like play songs that you can live with and that they love, you know. And then by God, they the football game's over and they're watching you. And their tip jar is full, and then they're over there, hey, do you have any CDs out, you know, and you sell a CD. And then you come back to town in a year, and they brought five friends with them, and they know, you know, they want to hear number six. They don't know the title of it, but they want to hear number <laughs> six, you know, and then mission accomplished, you know, it's long game. Yeah. So, but, and then there's also people that they're just quite content with, Playing in town for free beer and in the same place, you know, and same deal, and that's just not what I'm after, you know. So. Yeah, it gets old. Yeah, you need to keep exploring. Yeah, you well, know, just yeah, I want to see it all. Like this, this last winter, uh, I, me and I went on a little tour with a guy named from Texas named Tanner Sparks. And uh, there's all these little mountain towns that I've been playing, and it's you know it's restaurants and pubs and a lot of covers. But coming back my my third year, like it's just exactly like I was saying. Now there's people who recognize know who we are, bought CDs that want to hear original songs, and but you know they're they're giving us free lift tickets to like ski and lodging and meals, and I thought, holy shit, you know what? This is so ridiculous that just because we know a few songs in the guitar that we get like free things. Yeah. And people pay us to do this. It's ridiculous. But yeah, to be able to travel and see things and see new country, go to Florida, you know, and drive through the Keys and, you know, see pretty weather and, and 70 degrees in January. Like, it's a good old living life we're living. Enjoy it. There's no reason to mumble and grumble about it. About what you're doing or anybody else, you know, let them do their thing and do your own. So, oh, yeah, man. I, uh, it's nice to hear somebody that's been in it a while like you have Mm -hmm. and still has that, chooses to have that attitude and outlook. Cause I mean, that's a choice. Yeah. You know, you wake up and you're the one that writes your own story for that day as far as what you, what do you want to see? Mm-hmm. And some people want to see that ah, it's a hard day. It's it's this is, it's hard that, you know, you can choose to see when someone only responds to your cover. You can see that one of 
you know, well, you can see it a hundred different ways, but the two biggest ones are you can either look at it like I won because I got that guy's attention or mm-hmm. I got that girl's attention and now they're grooving to what I'm doing. Or you can look at it like, well, fuck, of course you respond to that and not my original. You yeah. Know? You can look at it as, and that's the best way. That's the best outlook is what you got, I think. Yeah. There's a time and a place for them. Right. Uh, but speaking of your art, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about your your music. Like, um, how do you, I'm sure you write songs a hundred different ways, but do you have any consistencies in the way you write? Do you like to come up with the guitar parts kind of first and then kind of get an idea of what you're going to sing about? Or do you ever write your stories for uh, first? Man, it's always a, always a, some kind of a progression for, well, an idea concept. And then, well, I mean, most of the time it's, it's uh, like a chord progression and a vibe and write to that. Mm -hmm. The most consistent thing that's happened in my songwriting is like accidents or not accidents, but just like happenstances of like, here it is and it's here now. Mm -hmm. And if I have, if I'm in a position to attack it when it pops up, then it just 30 minutes, you know, it's, it's down. And with and just needs little tweaks here and there, um, but there's an equal amount of songs that have started with a line or a hook, and six months later, you know they're where you want them to be, and but maybe never where you want them to be. You know they're constantly changing because they were kind of forced. You know. Yeah. But um, I. Uh, I write a lot first thing in the morning. Nice. Yeah, uh, me too. Like when I, I, I intentionally, I wake up and like first thing I do when my feet hit the floor is, is try to write for 10 minutes. Like no more than 10 minutes. No more than 15 for sure. But um, just set a quick little timer on the phone and see what happens. You know, and uh, if something's vibing, like every once in a while, something will be really rolling. And there's something about your brain waking up that does something. Hello. Every time. <laughs> Why wouldn't it? <laughs> the old puppy dog's hanging out good. Yeah. Just chilling like a villain. Yeah, he likes to crash out whenever it's just him. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, no, nobody to, impressed. Yeah, he likes to crash out under. Right by your feet and chill out. And I like it. Slowly but surely, he's turning into a pretty cool dude. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, I mean, wake up, set a timer, like first thing in the morning, try to write for 10, 15 minutes. Because there's, there's and, uh, Adrian Gilly in Tulsa told me to do that. And it's been really uh, productive. I've I've got a lot of good out of that. And even middle of the night. Like, you know when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to pee? And you're like... Because you're getting older. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. And you're like, man, I'm going to close my eyes and walk to the bathroom and not turn on the lights because I want to try not to wake up. And I want to be able to go back to sleep. Um, Instead of doing that several times, unless I have something really important to do the next morning. Like, if I don't, and I know I can sleep in. If I wake up in the middle of the night... 
and I have to go pee, like I wake up and go pee and then sit down and try to write for 10 minutes, you know? And it's just exploring different mindset. And a lot of times there'll be like the, the I know that you've done it too, where you're laying in bed and you're about to fall asleep or it's the middle of the night and you're like, man, that's a good idea. I should write that down. Yeah. And you don't. And then you're like, I'll remember it. It's too good of an idea not to remember. And then the next morning you wake up and you're like, fuck, what was it? You know, like I know. I know that it was, and there's been a lot of times I've got up and written down something. It was like, that is fucking fire. And then looked at it the next morning and it's just utter nonsense, you know? Yeah. But, uh, there's been several times that, you know, I'll wake up and be like, I don't, I'm not doing anything in the morning. Let's sit down and try to see what happens. And something will get rolling. And there's something just being in the dreams and in REM sleep and different parts of your brain firing. And it's I just like those better because it's not forced. It's not like you're not forcing something to happen. You're not looking for this word that rhymes with this word and settling on something because it's close enough. Oh, yeah. You know, it's more of a stream of thought. And like tapping into like the 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 poet that's in all of us, and you know that's uh, there's more romance to it, and there's more it's organic and it flows better and feels better. So, but like I said, there is I've done a little bit of co-writing, not much. Um, co-writing, you have to you have to be assertive enough to like make your voice heard, yeah, and humble enough. To like hear someone else's and like know that sometimes people come up with better ideas than you, and you have to know that, you know, and you have to accept that. Like for the sake of the song, you're right. That's better. That's better than what I came up yeah. with, you know. And a, it's 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 hard to like have an organic, thoughtful writing process when you're keeping in the forefront of your mind. Like then you have to work with someone else. And then also it's hard to find other people that can do that. That, you know, if you know you got a line that's better than theirs. Right. For them to if you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of egotistical you know, egoists and egotists out there that just don't have that in them to yeah. you know, to share the responsibility of writing a song and well, and to keep the and to keep the interest in it, right, for yourself, because I've, I talked, I've talked about this before. Well, I talked about it mostly with Abigail, uh, but me and Abigail, Dawn, um, we tried to get together. If you know, I don't know if you know her, but like, no we other. tried to get together uh, and write a song together, and we started, and we, like, the story was pretty good. We used one of my progressions, mm-hmm. um, but like, it was going to be this cool duet, and then. I compromised on my lyrical ideas. She compromised on some of hers, and it just turned out to feel bland to both of us. We didn't yeah. even, we didn't even finish the, the project song, and I was like, "Man, that sucks." Yeah. But that's co-writing for. Sometimes it's got to be an established relationship. I, I've also written a song where I wrote it as a duet, but I was working with just a I, I was working with a singer, mm-hmm. and that's all her job was. She was going to sing, but I chose to be a, like. She trusted me enough to let me write the lyrics, but I was like, tell me your story. Tell me what we're going to choose one of your things and we're going to, you know, 
write a song based off of that. And so we did that together and that worked out fine. So it's like, it depends on the people, like you just said. And I'm, I have a really hard time compromising. I have a really difficult time, like, unless I know that your lyrical, that phrase right yeah, there is better, better than my own. Yeah. I have a really hard time letting go and being like, no, it needs to be this. Yeah. Um, but what I more often would do is I'll just step back and be like, yeah, that's that's fine. And then like the song yeah. is dead to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <sighs> and you just check out. Yeah, and I check out. And so it's like this thing where it's, Maybe that's ego. Maybe it's it, it's it's a lot of things actually, mm. but it's part of it is ego. It's like, but yeah, it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> co-writing is really really hard for me. Ditto. So that's I just throwing that in co-writing. I mean, it gets done. I go to Nashville four or five times a year usually, just weekends to that set up and do co-writes. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you get, do that? Huh? How do you go about doing that? Um, there's, there's a, honestly, it's easy. Um, people that work for publishing houses that are pro writers, they have a quota that they have to meet. You know, most publishing houses, like if you, especially if you're on like a salary, if they pay you monthly, uh, or weekly, like you got to fill that quota and they are not too bad on, they don't mind. Like a lot of times you can write. A song that sounds the same that has ten different messages, you know. Right. They're okay with that, um, but there's only so much. I mean, unless you're a just a a song machine, a song machine. There's only so many ideas you can have. There's only so many deals. So it's kind of the one of their processes is co-writing, you know. And they'll they'll send publishing house to publishing house, and they have guys sit in a room together and. So they're always looking for a new hook, new idea, new new uh, line, new chord progression, new lick, new sig lick, you know. Um, so just call somebody, go up there. Uh, That's pretty cool. Know somebody, know somebody, you know. But a lot of the, I mean, just honestly, just go to Nashville, hang out. Uh, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. There's a lot of, it's like Jason Isbell says, there's a lot of cheeseburgers in Nashville. You don't have to eat McDonald's, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I just, I met, I'm trying to think of how I met some of the, I got introduced to Bernie Nelson. Uh, Bernie Nelson wrote a song in the 90s or 80s or 90s called Daddy Never Was a Cadillac Kind, the country hit. And uh, I got, he was one of the first people I ever co-wrote with. It was like a professional Nashville songwriter and um, he just introduced me to a few people that you know and I think it's just a community of people like hey if you know anybody you know if you know anybody that's you know worth shit let's do some set them up yeah so you just kind of yeah. meet one person and then they're like I trust you so yeah here's some of my friends yeah absolutely that's pretty cool um, but I mean it's a business so they may like keep you keep you close <laughs> for until right. until they're like well that well's dry so <laughs> okay, send one of this guy yeah so but uh yep that's all that that's pretty cool man thanks um so what do you like to what about your lyrical content on stuff what do you um what are some of your most passionate things that you like to write about um 
women and substance abuse usually. Um, I've been man, I've been trying really hard to write about my family and like my dad and grandpa. They both have really good stories. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't, I just don't have that in me yet, or something. There's some, I don't know. There's some something that it won't happen. I feel that way the same, or I feel the same. I've, I've for years I've wanted to write a song for my mother. Yeah, but I have not been able to come up with that like, like Maybe a, just, a real story. It's just got to be so good too. Well, yeah, that's too. That is it. You know, but I feel like it. Some people write songs that feel more like. Uh, like I could be reading it in a book, and it's yeah. like a story that's unfolding, yeah. like really, really well. Like uh, some of Dan Martin's tunes really remind yep. me of that. Big time. Well, and that's uh, that's why I write is just to leave a legacy. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'll. I'm pretty certain that I won't change the world in any way, doing anything, but. Just like literature, or art, you know, music has a little more apt to do it than literature or art. But it's something, once you record something and put it out in the world, like it's here forever. You know, it's not going anywhere. Uh, even if there's just five people who like it and love it and listen to it forever and tell their kids about it or whatever. That's something that I can leave behind. That's my point. So a lot of a lot of my content is uh, is nonfiction. You know, I've tried to write story songs that are fiction that it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So everything I write about is is usually true and part of my life or someone close to me. Um, I wrote a song called His Daughter. Um, that's about my buddy Cody Kazee and he's got a he met a girl that um, he was introduced to that told him she couldn't she couldn't have kids and so they weren't safe and of course he knocked her up and and they had went through this whole like kind of deadbeat mom deal where mm-hmm. he's a good guy and a good dad and wanted to be a good dad but she wouldn't let him so I wrote that song that was about somebody else and and honestly everything else is like Part of it's about something that happened in my life, or maybe something that I hope will happen. Or, but yes. uh, nonfiction. I think I've written, I've only written like one, maybe two fictitious songs, mm. and I'd highly doubt any either of them are ever going to yeah amount to any real success or anything like that. But one was called uh, Whiskey Milk. Yeah. And it was a story about uh, me hanging out with Rihanna in California <laughs> yeah. and us running into uh, Chris Brown and beating him up and nice. and then going hop, going party hopping. <laughs> it's That's just, awesome. It's pretty stupid. I want to hear that one. Yeah. Well, because she, she, she went on one date. Like, I did a quick Google search, and she went on one date with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, do I, I wrote a story, like a little story in it about that too. I was like, but it's just goofy, stupid nonsense. And if it's something like that, yeah, I can I can do something like that. But I can't. I, I'm no. It'd be really difficult to write an actual heartfelt, real story yeah. that had any kind of uh, true depth to it, unless it was something that 
like you said, that happened to me or somebody that that's close to me. Hmm. Cause I've done that as well. But, uh, Oh, uh, let's talk a little bit about what some of the stuff you got coming up. Uh, and you have a release coming out, New. um, February 15th, a, mm-hmm. you got an album that you're going to be dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. What was, uh, how long you've been working on that and trying to get that thing ready for the public? Well, it's my, uh, it's my sophomore studio album. So my second studio album. Uh, we did our first one was called I'm Not Okay, uh, which was kind of a chronicle of my late teens, early 20s. And then we did a uh, an accidental live album called uh, Live and Not Okay at Kane's Ballroom. We were opening for Randy Rogers' band, uh, backed by Jack Waters and the Unemployed, nice. Jack Waters and Luke Mullenix and Mike Sadowick and uh, Jacob DeMint, who I uh, duo with a lot, played uh, some l- rhythm and lead guitar and sang harmony. And uh, kind of just talked to the sound man, asked him if he recorded shows, and he was like, yeah, I'm getting pretty good at it. And just wanted something to review kind of for game tape, see how he did. And it turned out awesome and sent it down to Joe Hardy and made a live album out of it. And then, so this record, because we did that, uh, we wanted to maintain some continuity from the transfer from the first studio album into this one through the live album. So a couple of the new songs were on the live album, uh, Who's Better? And, uh, of course, Harry Up and Wait was on there. And then... Uh, Long Road Back Home, which was our last single um, that we released way before we got this record. I just really needed a single out, so we just recorded a single and put it out and sent off the new record that we haven't wrote or recorded yet. (laughs) (coughs) But um, so, and then I had Jack and them come be the session musicians on this one, so it kind of had the same vibe, same same sound, and maintained that continuity too. Recorded down at the Boo Hatch in Ada. Mike McClure's little spot down there, and Caleb Sheridan was the engineer. I was kind of nervous to work with him, but he did a great job. I just never worked with him before, and I'm kind of one of those stick to what you know kind of guys. So yeah, you know how to get certain results. Yep, but was really happy with his performance, and he drove well. Has great ideas, has great taste in music, and really is attentive and um, puts a lot of passion and love into the uh, project. And um, it was mixed by uh, Trent Bell. Here in Norman, Bell uh, Labs and Recording, mixed and mastered by Trent, and he did a great job on it. I highly recommend him and his studio as well. Um, ten songs on the album. Uh, one song's a repeat from the first album, that Hurry Up and Wait song. We kind of redid it. Uh, it was too long on the first one and had some foul language and stuff in it. And well, figured out a way to tastefully change some of that to where it's a little more uh, audience-friendly and radio-friendly as on length and content. And then also it had a cool signature lick that uh, we just accidentally kind of did in the live show, uh, just kind of worked up in rehearsal, and I really wanted people to hear that because it really gives it a whole other vibe. Nice. And uh, several other new songs. There's uh, two songs I co-wrote with... Um, Justin Peters in Nashville, a song called Who's Better. It's like a, it's a, a waltz, not a G. And it's a nice little Buckle Rubbin' Love song. And uh, wrote it uh, with Justin Peters uh, back several years ago. That was one of the first co-writes I did in Nashville, too. That we also had a lot of headbutting on that deal, but 
you know, that was my, it was my uh, inexperience, like selfishly thinking, like I know what I'm, I know what's right to a forty-year seasoned songwriter in Nashville. You know, who am I? Nobody. But it was just so funny for me to be like, no, it needs to be this way. This is better this way. And well, there was a line at the end of it. That's like it, the, the little bridge turn around is like I like to work, you like to play, I like to whisper, you like to scream. Uh, and then the last line is I like to sin and you like to pray is what I wrote. And uh, he was like, can't say you like, I can't say you like to sin. I was like, well, come on, why not? You, you cut your demographic in half, you know. Uh, there's if there's a hundred people in the room and half of them are Christians and half of them aren't. 50 you're gonna you, by saying I like to sin you're gonna you're gonna turn off 50 of them I'm like fuck you know that's the way I want it that's the way yeah. I want it to be and we went around like we wrote the whole song and then we went 45 minutes trying to figure out a line for that to replace it and it ended up being like well I said well what if I like what if it's an I tend to sin and you like to pray praise like perfect you know like, fuck <laughs> You know, but it was, I just, in retrospect, I thought it was hilarious that at all in my mind that I would think that I was right over this guy that's been doing it. You know, Custer didn't listen to his scouts. Well, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I also get not giving a shit. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, nah. But uh, so that song and then that Long Road Back song, road, Long Road Back Home song that we wrote with Justin Peters. And then there's uh, uh, one song I wrote with a guy named Jackson Gardner that was one of the kind of first. To, co-writes I did with just like a, a guy who worked for a production company or a, yeah publishing house and uh, it turned out really good it was a nod it's a nod to uh, Keith Whitley's uh, he's got a song called Hard Living this song is also called Hard Living it's in the same key as that song it's the same tempo of that song uh, so hopefully I'll get sued by Keith Whitley's estate I don't know I got made it that's what yeah. I tell people, because I'll quote lyrics on here from popular songs, and we'll talk about something, and they'll be like, hope you don't get it, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, somebody doesn't sue you. I'm like, dude, if I get sued, I'm doing something right at yeah. this point. It'd yeah. be beautiful. Yeah. A song called Drug, Drunk, and Alone was written by Travis Harris, a guy that I really respect. It's a cool little honky-tonk song. A song called Fireline uh, that I wrote about wildfires in Oklahoma. Pretty straightforward, literal song about wildfires and all the things that they entail. And a song called uh, What's Your Name? That's about a girl I met at the colony. Uh, Kind of a little cute cute song about flirting and incentivizing on a girl's need for a lighter. But uh, that one, and then uh, of course that who's da- uh, that his daughter song I wrote for my buddy Cody and his daughter Kinley, and uh, there's a song called uh, "Cold in This House" that I wrote um, several years back that Mike McClure actually put on a, a music or a uh, soundtrack for a movie that a guy made, an Oklahoma movie filmmaker. Uh, that song, I I recorded the the vocals and the just the acoustic guitar parts, and we sent it down to Joe Hardy in Houston. Joe Hardy's 
resume starts with ZZ Top in the mid seventies and goes on from there. He's done every record that ZZ Top's ever done, and and many, many, many others. Uh, he's really he was uh, one of the founders of Ardent Studios and and um, really, really, really prolific engineer and music maker. Um, but we sent it down to him, and he did. Uh, several other instruments and mixed and mastered it and that was the last thing he did he passed away last year and uh that was the last thing he did for me so we wanted to make sure that we got put on this record as a kind of a nod and a little love for joe we miss him then uh did i recorded hallelujah that leonard cohen tune oh okay uh there's a music video on youtube that we recorded with a company called gig pack which look into Gig Pack as well. They're great. Um, uh, but we recorded a music video with them, and we took that audio and, and remixed it and mastered it and put it on the CD. So I'm really excited about it. I think it's got a good... Uh, it's a little more uniform and concise than my first record was, which was just all over the place. The first record had 80s rock ballads and country and rock and bluegrass and it was just across the gamut which I kind of wanted to like that was my raisin and wanted to show a chronicle of my music taste and but this one's a little more uniform and uh, just way more thought and experience went into this one so I'm excited for people to hear it and it's just chock full of singles so we're gonna I mean every every three four months we'll have a new song on the radio rocking so this will kind of be a nice little reintroduction into the Texas music scene and Texas radio. And look forward to probably next year getting down there and playing a bunch of live shows with the band. So this year we'll continue to just kind of buzz around solo and duo and spread the word around. But next year we'll get the real deal going. Oh, good, man. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Fireline, which is... Uh that's the song we're going to feature mm-hmm. at the end of this episode. Um, you said it was about wildfires. Uh, it is. Go ahead and tell a, tell us a story about it. Man, uh, there's just there's a lot of fires around Hughes County, where I'm from, and Creek County, kind of west of Tulsa. And it's just a common occurrence in the summertime or, you know, winter, when everything's dry. Cigarette will get flipped out, some welder not have a fire extinguisher, you know, and a hundred thousand acres later, you know, yeah, so, there it goes. but, um, it's just, it just kind of a story about all my, I've got buddies from Holdenville that they're a family of cowboys, you know, uh, and, uh, they'll, when there's wildfires, they'll go at, in a horseback and, take a herd of cattle that are kind of pinned in a place, you know, there's fence on one side and fire on the other. And they'll herd them. They'll either have the fire department, like, spray them out one spot, and they'll herd cattle, like, across the fire line, or they'll take them out on the road and bring them around. Mm. And they just do that all day, you know, place to place to place as that fire moves. And uh, I've got a bunch of buddies that are volunteer firefighters that, that go out and do that stuff, whether they've been whether they've been drinking all morning or whatever, when the you know when the call when it happens, it's just time to go do it, you know. But and it's just about there's kind of a little subcontext about 
perseverance through adversity and um, just fighting the fight instead of giving up, you know, of we'd always, when there was fires around, you just, you get every hose that you got in the house and you plug them in and turn them on and stretch them out as far from the house as you can and just work back to the house, you know, spray down the roof. And so there's kind of a hook line in there that's, you you know, turn and let it burn or stretch your hoses and stay, which is, I guess could kind of be a subcontext about just Job and fight the good fight and yeah, sticking in there, not giving up. So, but I'm excited. That's, that's a cool song too. It's, I've, I've always been a Chris Knight fan. Um, and this is, I call it my Chris Knight song cause it's kind of got that same feel and vibe to it. Yeah. I really dig it. Yeah. I had a good time listening to it today. And, uh, lots of good jamming on it. Yeah. yeah. Mike Sadawake and Lane Hawkins on the fiddle and uh, John Knutson used to be with Whiskey Myers and several others. He played all the keys on it. So lots of good instrumental jamming on it. I really like how everything turned out. Hell yeah. Um, well, we're kind of marching towards the end of this deal, man. I wanted to talk about... Uh, Oh, one one question that I always kind of ask people. Uh, if there was any kind of advice that you had that you'd like to give to, you know, aspiring songwriters or current songwriters or just people that have an interest in the process at all. like About writing? Yeah, just about writing at all. Write all the time. Um, when it comes to writing, trying to write a song... Um, one thing there's, I've read several books on songwriting and they all say limit the time you do it. Like, uh, the preferred time is 15 minutes, Hmm. um, to do it and walk away from it and come back to it. If it's a, if it's a constant process, like, I mean, of course, if you're vibing, you you vibe you, yeah but when it over. comes to like really grinding one out say 15 minutes and just set you an alarm and just do not try for longer than that uh walk away from it come back but other than that to to just hone the and exercise the poetry and just the flow of the mind onto paper is just write all the time. We have a we have a, di- a diary in our pockets all the time. You know, when you're sitting on the shit or when you're sitting on when you're sitting on the bus, when you're sitting in the waiting room, uh, get out your phone and journal. You know, uh, or you know, I've I keep a a journal. You know, just write all the time. Uh, don't don't stop. Don't like. I'd say I don't practice at home much, but I do write constantly, yeah. you know, and a lot of, I mean, it, it, and it serves lots of different purposes, you know, it, uh, makes your handwriting better. It makes your hand stronger, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, how many times have you been writing something down, you know, writing a long form something and just like, ah, or the, it's so, you can't read it, you know, it's so messy and yeah, that gets tough. But, uh, but and also it it's good for your brain. It's good for your uh, just general mindset of getting getting your thoughts out of your head and 
not dwelling on them, not getting in this repeat mode, and uh, just get it out and not. But when it comes, and you'll find you'll write you'll write for a day, and you'll find the idea for two songs in there, you know, then snippets of that writing, you know. Yeah. That that's all I would say is just write all the time, and don't overdo it if you're if you're trying to intently write a song limit the time you do it yeah yeah i actually really dig that that 10 to 15 minute kind of rule mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna try and implement that for a little while and see mm-hmm. how see the results i get myself another thing that i learned there's a i can't remember the name of the damn book i wish i did but it's a it's a teacher at berkeley that wrote a book on songwriting that was recommended i saw in a tweet by jason isbell and amanda shires his wife but one of the things they recommend is writing on note cards or post-its. But note card, you get a like a corkboard for your wall and note cards, and um, it it makes a physical arrangement of this song on the wall instead of like when you're writing on pages when you get to this verse and you find a line and you try to like cross out what you've already wrote and draw a little line up to where this is supposed to go up here, yeah. you know, instead of doing that, you have this, you have these lines or verses and, or parts of choruses on note cards and you can just m- physically move them to where they're supposed to be. And there's like this format where you can see on the wall, um, the bits and pieces of the song and how they're laid out. The first time I did that, I wrote this song called Raining in Sweet Water that was for my my dad's aunt who passed away. And I wrote it in like 30, 45 minutes in a hotel room. And all they had was this, um, all I had to write on was this, like the hotel notepad. And there was eight sheets in it, you know, in this notepad, this disposable notepad. So I had eight sheets to get the song right up down on. So I wrote a verse and just wrote. I had all this facts about this lady, bits and pieces of facts. So I just wrote a verse on this. I didn't have any structure or um, order in my mind of how it should be, but I just wrote this verse and threw it in the pile. Wrote the verse that rhymed. Threw it in the pile. Wrote this verse that rhymed. Threw it in the pile, and then wrote a chorus. And a bridge on two other sheets, and then I just took those and like put them in the chronological order that they fit. Instead of trying to like write this verse that needs to flow into this verse that needs to flow into the chorus that needs to flow into this next verse, just write a verse and we'll write 20 verses, and then you can see them on this corkboard on the wall, and you can just put them in order and line them up and sing it and be like, nope, that's not it. You know, that's not the puzzle. And then just find the way that works. But that's how, like, Jason Isbell and... I mean, that's how this guy teaches people how to write songs sparkly, but um, that's where I first saw that. But it worked. It worked for me, and I do it now. I've written three songs since that way. Hmm. Of Instead of, like, all right, verse one is done. Like, how should verse two start? You know? Instead of doing that, just be like, here's a verse that fits in this song. Here's a verse that fits in the song. Here's a verse. That... And then after this song's done, I set those over to the side, and sometimes they go in other songs. 
you know, or there's with a little bit of a tweak, they can go in another song. So I've just got this stack of like, I started with like, I've got a, a, a notepad in my phone that's just like labeled lyrics. And it's just all these lines, you know, just little hooks and lines. And now I've got them all on a cork board at home. And when I start a song, like I, they just, they physically like fit in the equation somewhere. Hell yeah. So. Well, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Usually we only do like, we usually do like a, a song featured at the end, which we're still going to do with Fireline. But if you, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't mind, that was a really cool explanation of how you kind of came about this song. Yeah. Uh, would you mind? Let's do that song. Do that song as well. Yeah, you bet. I love that song. I just cut it with, uh, I went to cl- a class in records with Casey Cobb and oh, Dwight Hamlin. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we did a Christmas song that was like me and Jack Waters wrote about Santa smoking weed <laughs> and uh, needed to get it out real quick. So I, I went and I called them and they were able to do it. And so I went ahead and laid this one down too because just I wrote this and then sang it at my at her funeral. And uh, she wanted me to come sing Hallelujah and Go Rest Tie on the Mountain. But I was like, well, I wrote this song last night. Should I do it too? And they're like, yes. And everybody loved it. So they wanted a copy of it. I was like, well, I just, I can record it on my phone or something, but I really wanted to give it the respect it deserved and kind of it be a, a way to console the family and stuff. So we went and recorded it. But yeah, let's do that one. Awesome. All right. You guys, we're actually going to show you that song just right now. So we really hope you like this. Raining in Sweetwater. It was Benny and Claire Out in Capitola, Texas Well, they had nine children She was number seven They named her Betty Sue She was my grandma's baby sister Lived to be 82 She was a Texas twister well, They were dryland farm Just a cotton cattle no irrigation for this uphill battle Well the sun was high And the ground was dry They watered their crops Whatever God provided When the clouds rolled in And the rain would fall They'd thank the heavens They just couldn't hold it They'd say it's raining in sweet water tonight Thank God we put up a fight After months of no damn rain We prayed right through the pain It's raining in sweet water tonight She married Corky 66 years ago. And man, that kind of unconditional commitment just don't happen anymore. She raised up several children, and not just her own. And 
then her children's children when the need was known. She sold cars in Louisiana. She had a daycare and cut hair. She sang to God in a cappella at the Church of Christ. She sang as a rain and in sweet water tonight. Thank God we put up the fight. After months of no damn rain, we prayed right through the pain. Oh, it's a rain and sweet water tonight. a good long life she was a friend of mine like the clouds when she was a child well it just came her time to go up in them clouds and let her love rain down it's raining in sweet water tonight They'd say it's raining in sweet water tonight Thank God she put up a fight After years of fighting strain Like Job she prayed through the pain oh, It's raining in sweet water tonight oh, It's raining Sweet water Sweet water and There we have it Raining in sweet water Bingo That's a beautiful tune man Thank you Enjoyed that It's about my uh, Great aunt Betty Sue kid my grandma's sister, as said and said so. <laughs> well, it's well done. You can always tell. Uh, oh, is that so? You can always tell. Just there's something different that goes on in uh, people. Uh, or I mean, I guess songwriters, artists in general, when it's a song that's like super close yeah. to the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been obsessed lately with trying to write more. Uh, fun like upbeat faster stuff that i think people can like dance to and rock out to and i pour my heart and my soul into it but it's still not the same as when i sit down and write something that's just it's just meant to come from a place of just wanting to put out a beautiful message or a beautiful sentiment yep it's just different loud and clear and it was there's one of one of those that was just easy i just I loved her and felt I had a lot of feelings flowing and and uh, I sit down with my grandma in the hotel and got for 10 15 minutes just got some you know some scoop and some facts of from her childhood and stuff that I didn't know and 
and uh, just went in there and just laid her down. And she came, she flowed out. She, I think, I feel like in those types of situations, she had a hand in writing that song, you know? Oh, yeah. You know? That's awesome. Well, I think that's, I think we're pretty much there, man. How long Derek Paul do? Uh, I want to say, man, I actually cut it down because I think we were yeah. we were well over two hours on our way to three hours. Oh, then we're not done yet. We're just sitting starting here. <laughs> Brief intermission. I got some good hangs with him and Kirsten at Key West. Yeah, I love yeah. That. Let's wrap it up, dude. Man, I really appreciate you having me come and do this. It's nice to sit. Of course, man. Yeah, it's, I've always uh, you're one of the folks that I've always wanted to sit down and, and uh, actually get to know a little bit because just I mean. We're musicians, and we're passing sometimes, yeah. but we just don't get to really sit down. Ditto. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, yeah, man. Well, thank you, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this today. This has been a real treat, and you guys follow Jake. Stay current with him, and because he's doing, he's doing a lot of hard work, and uh, he's coming. So yeah. you guys pay attention. It's a great, great person to follow. So you guys can go to uh, jakeflintmusic.com. Is my pretty uh, website's pretty comprehensive as far as yeah. everything you need to know if it was tour dates and uh there's also links to all the social media on there which would be uh, facebook instagram snapchat um twitter you know all the basics and then reverb nation of course and bands in town you can follow me on bands in town they'll send you updates on all the show dates and stuff and if we come to your region so good stuff for man. the new record february 15th february 15th you guys all right well, thank you guys for joining us and hanging out. And uh, you guys stick around and enjoy Fireline that is going to be on his brand new record coming out February 15th. Mm-hmm. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Here we go.
came and made everybody go home Said pack your clothes and stretch out your hoses Grab your photo album 